welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Uh, It's so exciting to be with you all today, everybody. I'm especially excited today because we're in between teaching series. And so Adam Heather said to me, you can just share whatever's on your heart. He's given me a completely blank sheet of paper. That's really exciting for me. Uh, As you know, last week we finished this brilliant teaching series uh, called The Highlands of Faith, looking at the Songs of Ascent. And in a couple of weeks' time, three weeks' time, we're going to be starting a new series called Strange Lands, looking at the uh, prevailing experience of the people of God, which is exile throughout Uh, the the Bible, and that is so resonant with our current experience where we are living in very strange lands, trying to work out how do we sing the song of the Lord uh, together. Next Sunday, we have Dr. Joel Edwards uh, with us, who is uh, an elder statesman of the church in this country. It is an honour to have Joel uh, with us. He's a former general director of the Evangelical Alliance, a former general director of the African-Caribbean Evangelical Alliance. His doctoral studies uh, were in black theology. He, if you are asking questions around uh, Black Lives Matter, around how do we uh, love one another across and celebrate racial differences, uh, then Joel is going to help us. He is a seasoned, wise, challenging friend, and he's the kind of voice we need, so don't miss next Sunday. The Sunday after that, we've got a special treat. We have John Mark Comer speaking uh, to us uh, because he, uh, you know, John Mark, he, he, he wrote, he, he's from Portland, Oregon. He's a great friend of ours. He wrote that book, The Relentless uh, Pursuit of Hurry, or whatever it's called. And No, it wasn't that. Uh, and uh, John Mark is going to be speaking at the 24-7 Prayer International Conference, and we're going to be streaming in with that. So uh, I'm at this kind of sweet spot between uh, series, and so I want to speak today a little bit about our origin story as a church. I'm going to speak a bit about 24-7 Prayer. And, uh, you know, I think it was three weeks ago on the welcome desk. At the end of this service, there'll be a welcome desk. We always do that now. We have a lot of people who are joining the church in this season. It's amazing. And one of the good ways, one of the good on-ramps is just go to the welcome desk. There'll be a Zoom link at the end of this. And, and you can, in that space, ask questions, meet with some of the leaders and so on. And uh, so Sammy and I were hosting the welcome desk about three weeks ago. And someone came on and said, we are moving uh, from another country to Emmaus Road, and a lot of it's to do with 24-7 prayer, and we've been watching online, and we thought you'd be talking about 24-7 every single week, and we've not heard very much about it, and I was, I was like, I am so sorry, 24-7 is at the heart of everything we are about, it's really where we came from, it's really the call and the charism that's upon us, it's a little bit like the relationship between HTB Church and Alpha, uh, the call to prayer. The call to be a house of prayer is right at the heart of our core, our charism, our DNA as a church. So I want to share a little bit about that today. 
Sammy and I got engaged on the Isle of Skye in the Highlands of Scotland. And uh, it's a place that we love. Uh, the day before I proposed to Sammy, I went climbing. Sammy and I had gone on holiday uh, to Skye with a few friends. Uh, when we were engaged, we tried not to go on holiday, just the two of us, for obvious reasons. And so there were some friends with us. And uh, I went climbing in a range called the Coolins, the Coolin Mountain Range. Uh, with uh, Sammy didn't come, but with, with um, a couple of male friends. The Coolins are some of the most challenging mountains in the UK. One of the reasons is that they're made of magnetic rock, and that means that actually you can't use a compass on them. And this was in the days before GPS. And it was a nice day. We set out to climb uh, one of the coolins called Skernan Gillian. Uh, we set out from the Sligerhan Hotel, and um, it, it was a great uh, start to the day. But then, as we began to climb, uh, it got more challenging. Before long, we found that we were uh, having to climb what they would call a chimney. And we eventually got right up onto a ridge, which was so narrow that at times it was almost like one leg hanging down each side, sort of vertically, as we edged along it. And I have vertigo. Scary stuff. And then the clouds came down. And by the time we got to the top of Skernangillion, uh, there was almost zero visibility. You could barely see your hand in front of your face. No compass, and you're aware there are pretty much vertical drops to one side or the other. You don't know where they are. And all you can do in that situation is just try and see where is the path and follow one step at a time and just pray to God it gets you down safely. So we began to follow a path. And uh, it, it sort of turned into uh, this narrow, it was like a, a rift in a, a cliff face going down. It, it was probably no more than about, you know, two or three foot wide at times. And because the cloud was so thick, we couldn't tell, but we sensed we were probably walking on a cliff face. And that if any of us tripped, well, it could be bad news. But we were desperate to get down out of the cloud. We were just longing to be able to see. We didn't even mind what side of the mountain we came down. We just needed to be able to see again, and then we could get our bearings. I think we're in a season we feel a lot like that. It's like, get me out of here. I can't see where this is going. I I'm feeling my way forward. I think I might be in danger. Let me get my bearings. The path was really zigzagging down this cliff face. And I still remember after climbing down, I think it was for at least 45 minutes, just down from the top, we got to a point where the path ran out. And the next bit of path we could see below us was about 10 foot down. And my friend Justin was just about to lower himself down to the next path when I suddenly knew we were in real trouble. It occurred to me that if, as he dropped down those 10 feet, he stumbled, he might die. It struck me at that moment that if this next path didn't take us where we needed to go, we probably couldn't get back up again. I said to the guys, we need to pray. As we cried out to God for help, 
And by the way, it was starting to get dark at this point as well. So the, the visibility was getting worse, not better. And we knew you do not want to be on the Kulin mountain range in those conditions at night. We prayed and I just had this immediate sense. I knew exactly what to do. And I said to the guys, we need to do the opposite of everything we want to do. We need to begin to climb back up again. Visibility zero, night is falling. We've been coming down for 45 minutes. Nothing in us wanted to go back up again, but we sensed it was the right thing to do. And so we climbed back up, we got to the top, we found another path, and that one eventually led us safely down. Poor Sammy was waiting for us uh, in the Sligahan Hotel down below, and she'd been told, if they're not down soon, you're going to have to wait out the night, and we'll call out Mountain Rescue in the morning. Uh, the next day, we were pretty traumatized. We weren't quite sure how much danger had we really been in. And then the news came through two days later that my godfather, who had been climbing the same mountain range, had slipped and fallen and died. Sometimes when you are caught up in an impossible situation, you can't see where you need to go. Your bearings have gone. The compass is spinning. It is time to climb. It is time to return whence you came. And at this time in our church's history, I want to call us back to our origins because it is there that we will rediscover our bearings. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 12 together. And we're going to read verses 1 to 16, Acts chapter 12. Brilliant story, you're going to love this. Here we go. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. We don't know, but this may well have been the anniversary of Jesus' death. Jesus obviously was killed at the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. I want to read that verse again, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak round you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. 
They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outside entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it, and exclaimed, Oh, Peter's at the door! You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, well, I guess it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, understatement, they were astonished. Amen. It's a brilliant story. Have you noticed, by the way, one of the things I love about Peter, have you noticed he's really good at sleeping? He's always falling asleep in unlikely places. Garden of Gethsemane, it's cold. They're on, like, rocks. He falls asleep. Uh, Mount of Transfiguration. He falls asleep. And here he is, in prison, guarded by 16 people, chained up, facing his death. He's so soundly asleep, it says the angel had to strike him on the side. He didn't, the angel wasn't going, oh, Peter, it wasn't like a little nudge. He was striking him, punching him on the side. He is so fast asleep. And even then he's like, and he's kind of following the angel. And it's not till he gets to the door, he goes, oh, this is actually happening. Peter was good at sleeping. The situation looked utterly bleak. Pilate had already killed Jesus. Herod had already killed James. And now he has Peter in prison, chained up, guard by, guarded by 16 people. And it's the Passover and he's preparing to kill him too. To make matters worse, Jesus himself had prophesied to Peter, you're going to be tied up and led where you don't want to go. You're going to be martyred. That's pretty scary when Jesus gives you a prophecy like that. And so Peter finds himself tied up, led where he doesn't want to go. He knows this is curtainous. This is the end. The situation was impossible. It was hopeless. Peter was helpless. But, verse 5, the church was earnestly praying. But the church was praying. Their situation seemed treacherous. Their prospects were perilous. But the church was earnestly praying. Notice the kind of praying they are doing. It is earnest prayer. They are fervent, passionate, persevering, noisy, and together in prayer. They're not just lighting a candle and trying to feel peaceful. They're not just doing some spiritual exercises, indulging little spiritual formation, great as all that stuff is. They are interceding. They're not just on their own interceding. They are crammed together in one place, crying out to God, listen, 
There is a time for quiet prayer and reflective prayer. Many of you I know use the Lecture 365 app. We are all about that stuff. But there is a time for earnest prayer, for fervent, passionate, persevering, corporate, noisy prayer. And that is what the early church had learnt to do. The early church knew it was time to climb. It was time to go back to the origin. They didn't see any hope. Their situation was treacherous. The path ahead was perilous. It's time to climb. Perhaps you feel that your situation is utterly hopeless. Maybe you feel helpless. Maybe you feel locked up, locked down like Peter in chains that are holding you back, holding you down, being, leading you where you do not want to go. Maybe there's chains of addiction. Maybe there are chains of despair as you look at a medical prognosis, as you look at your marriage. As you look in the mirror, as you look at your bank account, you feel utterly hopeless. Your problems seem intractable. Your prospects incurable. Your situation impossible. But if the church is praying, anything is possible. Maybe for you today it is time to climb to higher ground. I've been so deeply moved by the countless quiet tragedies outworked in all of our lives that have come with this pandemic. We all know the big stories, you know, over a million people have died, the heartbreak of that. We understand the absolute tragedy on the macro, but it's the micro stories that have been so moving me. The school children facing such uncertainty about their exams and their futures. The students finding themselves at university isolated, scared, away from home and unable to know how to even make friends. The families who were had a, a holiday they were dreaming of and it got cancelled. The couples who've had a wrecking ball go through their wedding plans. The guy who finished furlough went back to work and found himself let go on the second day back at his job. The man I know who put everything into building a business, working 60 hour weeks for many years and now it's all come to nothing. The wife who couldn't say goodbye to her dying husband. Countless millions of quiet tragedies in all of our lives. The clouds have come down. The night is falling. The compass is spinning. Sometimes it's time to climb. These are impossibly difficult times in our lives. And now we're facing a second wave. But if the church is earnestly praying, anything is possible. Oswald Chambers says this, Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. 
Now, maybe when I start to talk like this, you say, that's all very well, Peter, but I I'm not in the early church. I'm not very good at earnest praying. It's a bit tricky to get together and pray right now. You don't know how intractable my problems uh, seem. But I take such com comfort from this story, the glorious humanity of the, the, the way the Bible is written. Dear Rhoda, this girl who's, who's guarding the door in the house during the prayer meeting. You guarantee she's the one who's made the coffees. She's probably the one who's been clearing up the coffee cups whilst they're all busy praying. You know the one, Rhoda. She gets not just into a little bit of history. She gets into the Bible. This is her moment. She answers the door and forgets to open it. I mean, that's like an embarrassing way to be marked for eternity. And look at the fact that then when she goes and says, Peter's at the door, the church doesn't believe her. Some people say, well, the way prayer works, you've just got to have enough faith. Name it, claim it, frame it. But clearly it's not true because they didn't have faith that Peter was going to turn up and the miracle happened. So our prayers aren't just linked to how much faith we've got. Plus, the success rate of the church at praying on the night before their leaders get killed is zero. Jesus in Gethsemane prays, Father, take away this cup. Uh -uh, he dies. When James is there about to be killed by Herod, you better believe the church got together and prayed. He was killed. And now it's the night before Peter's going to be killed and they are still getting together and praying. They have no evidence their prayer is going to make any difference. No wonder they didn't expect Peter to turn up at their door. Their success rate in this kind of prayer is zero, but they're praying. Listen, sometimes you don't have faith, but you have faithfulness. Sometimes you may not have a guaranteed answer, but you've got nowhere else to go. Listen, some people give Christians a hard time and say, look, if God's all loving, all powerful, how come all this suffering? But you do do not have to have faith to suffer. We all suffer. We're all struggling in the same ways. But only those who know Jesus have hope in this crisis like we have hope. Even if we die, we still have hope because we know Jesus has risen from the grave. One of my favorite scriptures, you'll have heard me quote it often, some of you. Romans 15 verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with peace and joy as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. To know God is to know hope. If you've got God, you've got hope. Every moment of your life, whatever you're going through, you've got hope. And, and, and he doesn't want to give you just enough hope to kind of muddle through one step at a time. He wants to give you so much hope it leaks out of your nose, your ears, your eyes, your mouth. Just so much hope that it's just leaking out all over the place so that a desperate world gets close to you and says, I don't know what it is, but when I spend time with you, I feel like I walk an inch taller. When I spend time with you, I don't feel quite so desperate about my marriage. When I spend time with you, I just feel more positive about the future. What is that thing? And the Apostle Peter comes and answers that question. He says, hey, hey, here's the deal. Always be ready to give an answer 
to people when they ask you about the hope that you have. The hope leaks out and people say, what is that? Where is it coming from? And so the early church here didn't have a lot of success, but they had God. And they were turning to him in prayer. One of the things I've learned over the last 20 years of non-stop prayer is this. 90% of it is just showing up. You know what the key to having regular quiet times is? Show up. Do whatever you got to do. Like uh, set three alarms. Do whatever you got to do. But just show up. You know, get to the prayer meeting. Sign up for the prayer room. Get there. Just show up. That's 90% of prayer. For the early church, God's all they've got. Many of you will know that's my story. over 20 years ago summer of 1999 I just became so desperately hungry to know God better so worried that I might be the guy one day who stood before Jesus and said Lord Lord look at all the stuff I did for you and he'd say yeah but we never knew each other so embarrassed about the fact that whilst our church the church Sammy and I were helping to lead was high on program, high on activity, seeing some results, we were weak on prayer and spirituality. Embarrassed about the fact that our church prayer meeting was probably the worst thing that we did and certainly the worst attended. Embarrassed about the fact that in my own life I was trading off other people's stories of answered prayer, other people's sacrifices. I was living like a kind of parasite on the sacrifices of others. Embarrassed about the fact that if I I was really honest, I was outsourcing much of my prayer life to godly old ladies. And so there comes a point in all of our lives when we realize the path is running out and our bearings are gone and God says it's time to climb. There comes a time in all of our lives when things are in such a mess, we have to come back to verse 5. Peter was in prison, but the church was praying. This is the call upon us all. And so we started that first 24-7 prayer room. Not trying to start a movement. Just knowing that the key to everything, not just in the Christian life, in life, is prayer. To actually have a relationship with God. To walk and talk with God. To learn to hear His voice. To see more of His power. More miracles. To experience more of His peace. To get revelation and perspective and wisdom on situations. To grow in a relationship with Him that is conversational. To become like Him. The key. Every one of these things takes you to the place of prayer. Listen, we don't just pray to get people saved. We get people saved so they can pray. One day there will be no more people who need to get saved. There will be no more churches to plant. There will be no more human trafficking to fight. No more injustices to resist. But there will be you and God, so you better have something to talk to Him about. The call upon all of us, the highest call upon all of us, the call upon this church is to pray. And as you know, that prayer room that we started in that warehouse down on the south coast, just went viral, began to spread. Miracles began to happen. People began to encounter God in the most extraordinary ways. Suddenly we were in other nations, and we couldn't quite believe it. Uh, Sometimes we were getting uh, emails from people in nations I'd actually not heard of. That's embarrassing. I was having to look up. Oh, oh, that's where that country is. And and it began to spread. And, you know, I wrote a poem on, on on the wall in that first prayer room, trying to make sense of why am I awake at three in the morning? 
crying out to God that many of my non-Christian friends don't even believe exists. What, what's going on? Am I going crazy? Because obviously if there isn't a God, being awake in the middle of the night talking to a wall is the some def definition of insanity. And so I wrote these words on the wall. And it began like this. So this guy comes up to me. And he says, what's the vision? What's the big idea? I open my mouth and the words come out like this. The vision, the vision is Jesus. Dangerously, obsessively, undeniably Jesus. The vision is an army of young people. You see bones. I see an army. And they're free from materialism. It just carried on. I drank a lot of Red Bull. I was probably a little overexcited. And I wrote these words up. And, and then something happened to them. I think someone must have like written them down and, and emailed them out. And all I know is a few days later, I received an email from someone in Canada saying, I found this thing on the internet and I thought you'd like it. And it was my own stupid prayer thing from the wall on the room below where I was reading this email had just traveled 7,000 miles from the room below me to me. And then it began to get out. And within a couple of weeks, it was being translated. And uh, it's certainly within a month that it was published uh, in Chinese in the, uh, one of the magazines of the underground church in China. That went out to 100,000 churches. And the same week it was published in The Way, that's the name of that magazine, it was also used at an event for tens of thousands of American young people in uh, the Capitol Mall in Washington, D.C. Communist China, Washington, D.C. And then a, a little bit after that, I was at a conference in Spain, and there were these guys doing this weird, like, stomp-like dance thing and screaming into a microphone in Spanish. And with shock, I realized, that's my prayer thing. No one knew where it had come from. No one knew that I'd written it. Uh, and so I'm like, wow, China, America, Spain, they're dancing this thing. And then a Swedish DJ forced me into a recording studio in the middle of the night in a city called Umeå. I don't know what that was about. I think we were there illegally. I'm not quite sure. I don't speak Swedish. We climbed through a window to get in there. My friend Elvis and me, and then this guy, and he said, I want to record you doing that thing. And Elvis had his hands on my shoulders, praying for me and I'm trying to like give it beans reading it into the microphone mainly because I'm just scared I think I'm illegally in this studio and it's like 30 degrees sub-zero and it's like and the guy's so he's, he was like this insanely militant vegan and I tell you what uh, earlier that night, we'd been walking past a restaurant and he started screaming at someone through the window and I just stood next to him like an Englishman feeling really awkward. Uh, and then we walked on and I said, D did you know that person? He said, no, but I don't like people who eat meat. And so this is the guy who's then made me record this thing. It's terrifying. And then that recording that I did kind of got out there and did a Welsh DJ and a New York DJ did remixes of it. And the vision poem just went everywhere. It was amazing kind of a call to arms and 20 years on I feel like some of it is a little over the top but the heart of it is exactly right and this I know for sure that when your bearings have gone and you don't know how to get down the mountain when night is falling and the path is running out it's time to climb your world may be hopeless, you may feel helpless, but if the church is praying, anything is possible. And so I want to say to you as individuals today,
I want to say to us as a church, it's time to climb. It's time to return to the place of prayer. It's time to come back to the vision that formed us. The vision is Jesus, dangerously, obsessively, undeniably Jesus. It's time for us to return to the high place of our call and find the path out of this storm. Let's push into prayer. Let the economists try and puzzle all that out. Good luck to them. Let the politicians try and help us find our way out of the mess that we're in. God bless them. But let us as the people of God be those who are praying, praying, seeking God for wisdom, seeking God for protection, seeking God for his blessing, not just for ourselves, but for our families. Parents, do you know how much your kids need your prayers right now? Are we praying for our hospitals and our schools? Are we praying for our political leaders that we're told to do in 1 Timothy 2 that they may have wisdom beyond their wisdom because, boy, they need God's wisdom right now. Listen, if the people of God do not pray, if we do not step into our priestly call to be a house of prayer for all nations at a time when the nations are dying, the nations are in turmoil, the nations are facing global pandemics, pandemics, the nations are in political turmoil, if we do not climb to the higher ground at this time, if we do not push into the place of prayer, who is going to pray for our neighbours? Who is going to pray for our uh, medical uh, people? Who is going to pray for our school teachers? Who is going to pray for your street? Who is going to pray for your husband? Who is going to pray if we as the people of God do not pray? Peter was in prison, but the church was praying. Their success rate was zero but the church was praying. They didn't have a lot of faith, but they had faithfulness, but the church was praying. Their situation was hopeless, but the church was praying. Their prospects were perilous, but the church was praying. Everything was treacherous, but the church was praying. Earlier as I, I was praying, I sensed the Lord speak to me about someone. He very clearly said to me, you are struggling with concentration. It's the strangest thing. But it's not as a new thing, but you've got something you're going to be focused on, you just cannot concentrate. And the Lord just says, return to the higher ground. Find stillness in me. I'm going to help you to focus. The vision is Jesus. And so I can't think of any better way to conclude uh, now than to play you the video made by Emmaus Road, uh, people in Emmaus Road, uh, Nick Beasley and others, of that vision poem. As a community, we're right at the heart of the 24-7 prayer movement all around the world. In two weeks' time, I want to invite you all to join us for our online uh, gathering. Uh, you're going to hear more about how you can do that uh, later. But connect, because if you're part of Emmaus, you're part of a global movement committed to prayer, mission, and justice at a time where our world has never needed prayer before. And we have to think globally together. We have to connect internationally together at this time. So I want to invite you to join that. I want you to invite Jill uh, and Natalie and me tomorrow morning at the church prayer meeting. Uh, I want you to find out more about the Seed community in Waverley and the vision for a house of prayer there because this is our high place. This is our call. Friends, it's time to climb. Take a look at this. So this guy comes up to me and says, What's the vision? What's the big idea? I open my mouth and words come out like this. The vision. 
the vision is Jesus. Obsessively, dangerously, undeniably, Jesus. The vision is an army of young people. You see bones, I see an army. And they are free from materialism. They laugh at nine to five little prisons. They could eat caviar on Monday and cross on Tuesday. They wouldn't even notice. They are mobile like the wind. They belong to the nations. They need no passport. People write their addresses in pencil and wonder at their strange existence. They are free, yet they are slaves of the hurting and dirty and dying. What's the vision? The vision is holiness that hurts the eyes. It makes children laugh and adults angry. It gave up the game of minimum integrity long ago to reach for the stars. It scorns the good and strains for the best. It is dangerously pure. Light flickers from every secret motive, every private conversation. It loves people away from their suicide leaps, their Satan games. This is an army that will lay down its life for the cause. A million times a day, its soldiers choose to lose that they might one day win the great well done of faithful sons and daughters. Such heroes are as radical on Monday morning as Sunday night. They do not need fame from names. Instead, they grin quietly upwards and hear the crowd chanting again and again come on and this is the sound of the underground the whisper of history in the making foundations shaking revolutionaries dreaming once again mystery is scheming in whispers conspiracy is breathing this is the sound of the underground and the army is disciplined young people who beat their bodies into submission every soldier would take a bullet for his comrade at arms the tattoo on their back boasts for me to live is Christ and to die is gain sacrifice fuels the fire of victory in their upward eyes winners Martyrs, who can stop them? Can hormones hold them back? Can failure succeed? Can fear scare them or death kill them? And the generation prays like a dying man with groans beyond talking, with warrior cries, sulfuric tears, and with great barrel loads of laughter, waiting, watching 24, 7, 3, 6, 5. Whatever it takes, they will give Breaking the rules, shaking mediocrity from its cozy little hide Laying down their rights and their precious little wrongs Laughing at labels, fasting essentials The advertisers cannot mold them, Hollywood cannot hold them Peer pressure is powerless to shake their resolve At late night parties before cockerel cries They are incredibly cool, dangerously attractive inside And on the outside, they hardly care They wear clothes like costumes to communicate and Celebrate, but never to hide Would they surrender their image or their popularity? They would lay down their very lives Swap seats with the man on death row Guilty as hell A throne from an electric chair With blood and sweat and many tears With sleepless nights and fruitless days They pray as if it all depends on God And live as if it all depends on them Their DNA chooses Jesus He breathes out and they breathe in Their subconscious Sings. They had a blood transfusion with Jesus Their words make demons scream in shopping centers Don't you hear them coming? Herald the widows, summon the losers and the freaks Here comes the frightened 
and the forgotten with fire in their eyes they walk tall and trees abroad skyscrapers bow mountains are dwarfed by these children of another dimension their prayers summon the hounds of heaven and invoke the ancient dream of eden and this vision will be it will come to pass it will come easily and it will come soon how do i know because this is the longing of creation itself the groaning of the spirit the very dream of god my tomorrow is his today my distant hope is his 3d and my feeble whispered faithless prayer invokes a thunderous resounding lone shaking great amen from countless angels from heroes of the faith from christ himself and he is the original dreamer the ultimate winner guaranteed <laughs>